This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Mekas and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome back to Prospects 101, the show where we break down football's prospects from all across the land. We're talking high school, we're talking college transfers, recruiting, we're talking NFL prospects, we're talking NFL draft. Prospects 101 is brought to you by our great partners at Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. And as always, you can interact with us on social media. That's at Prospects 101 Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're also always releasing great content, good engagement, great polls, different articles that we see. And of course, we love interacting with our fans all throughout the week and of course during the show. Also, another important thing to follow us on social media is that we're always throwing out ideas and we're trying to make sure that we constantly develop this podcast with topics that you guys want to hear about. So please make sure you follow us and and always uh, hit us back. Let us know what you think, different things. Uh, we do have a lot of great content coming up too, especially as we near 2020 in the college football season. Looks like more and more that it is about to start as kids are on campus. Workouts have started and it looks like the 2020 season will start online with or without fans. We do not know yet, uh, but I guess that we will uh, we'll see here in the next few weeks as COVID-19 continues to be evaluated. So only one co-host tonight. This is going to be a little bit different change for us, which means we won't have any outstanding hot takes that make you turn off the podcast. And that means <laughs> that I am joined by the one, the only, Kenny Keller. Hey, what's up, Gless? <laughs> Pastel is going to be salty when he hears that. <laughs> I can't wait. I was just going to say that we have the green light to like make fun of Virginia Tech. We can kind of do whatever we want. We don't have to worry about it. Well, with the topic that we have, th- there will be some Virginia Tech debate on here. So I can't, can't <laughs> wait to get to that. I, I, the one thing I will say, I was listening to one of the recent pods that we released. And uh, if you guys didn't listen to it, go back. It was our top cornerbacks uh, for the 2021 draft. Mm-hmm. And we took a a list of the, the the top five and some other prospects that we really liked. And, and we tried to do some car sarcasm come off, especially when we were ragging <laughs> on Brandon's 
Brandon's highlight film. And I don't think it came through as clearly as it probably should have. So uh, I would just encourage all of us as hosts just to make sure if it is sarcastic that (laughs) that our listeners understand that we are being sarcastic because we did watch Brandon Pastel's highlight film. Um, We did get close on the competition, Kenny, on what Brandon Pastel is possibly in the VHSL record books for in high school. Uh, some guy was pretty close. We may announce it on another show. We're still getting some answers in, uh, so we'll see from there. I saw that. I saw that. It was pretty cool to see people guessing, but no, no right answers yet. No right answers. So we'll still leave it out there. Again, if you know what Brandon Pastel is in the VHSL record b- books for as a high school football quarterback at Chancellor High School, hit us up on social media again. That's Prospects 101 Pod. <laughs> Anyways, enough enough for Pastel bashing because Pastel is one of our best friends. So uh, <laughs> talk about kicking a man when he's down, not even here to defend Whatever. Him. he's. You know what? He's deep sea fishing today. I don't feel too bad for him. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Anyways, I'm going to introduce our topic tonight, and th- and this one is a little bit different than what we've been doing, but it, it's one that sparked a lot of conversation uh, mm-hmm. with Pastel, Kenny, and myself this week over text message. And there was an article that was written by Adam Rittenberg of ESPN. He's a senior writer there. And he ranks all college football, all Power 5 college football jobs into tiers. So you have five different tiers, tier one, two, three, four, and five, and took the power five jobs, and he essentially categorized them, obviously tier ones being the best jobs and tier fives being the most challenging jobs. And what I found interesting about some of these is we're going back and forth on a lot of these on what could be tier one, what could be tier two. Mm-hmm. And before we break the list down and Kenny United will debate it, I do want to kind of introduce his tiers and then let's discuss what we like about how he defined it. So tier one job, great location with great access to elite uh, regional and, and national recruits and talent, mm-hmm. uh, commitment from the university, uh, few to no financial limitations uh, for staff hires. And of course, uh, history is a top five program recent or long term. Uh, tier two, very good access to top 300 recruits, no limitations around facilities or or, or money, they have an ability to win a national title occasionally, mm-hmm. uh, and and they're constantly in the top twenty. Is how he defined tier two, tier three, good location, not as good as tier one. Solid facilities, uh, their their financial pool isn't as big as maybe a tier two. You know, should regularly contend for division titles and occasionally win the league to to be able to be in the college football playoff. And that's realistic for some of these schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, then we get to tier five or tier four. Uh, there are resource restrictions at these schools, and that's where player development really comes in to be a focal point for them. Uh, strong facilities, but overall average infrastructure, uh, limitations with fan support, a consistent bowl team, though. Uh, and and potentially getting into a New York uh, New Year's Six Bowl uh, mm-hmm. a few times every decade, and then you got Tier Five, you know, limited in the recruiting reach. Uh, really has to be a developmental approach, occasional ten win seasons, uh, and could possibly be in a major major bowl. But that is a big deal for these schools. So yep. I thought the way that he laid these tier fives out one I, I gotta commend him because I thought he did a really astute job in doing that. But what mm-hmm. did you think of how he? laid out all of these tiers and how he defined them. Yeah, I liked it, Uh, especially it made a lot more sense when I went and saw the tiers and saw the schools that were in the tiers. I thought he did a pretty good job. Was he perfect? No, but I think he did a good job at 
accurately layering enough tiers to fully encompass all P5 schools. Like, there's a P5 school for every tier in this that he's come up with. Like, I don't think one is too close to the other or anything like that. Like, I like with Tier 2 and Tier 3 would probably be where it gets the muddiest, and I thought he did a good job at separating the two because with tier two he talked about you know has the ability to win a national title so they have the ability to play for national titles where tier three he set the limit as basically their ceiling would be making a college football playoff so it was good that he had a big enough separator for between tier and tier tier three tier two and tier three because those are the two that I was concerned about getting the most you know gray area but I think there's enough of a separation to where you can you can accurately put someone in tier two and tier three without, you know, being concerned about putting one too high or too low. Yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting is in each one of these tiers, he specifically references money, right. And the ability to keep assistant Mm -hmm. coaches and to attract the best assistant coaches from around the country. And as we go through each of the tiers, I think that's a really good theme in what you see, because he also mentions you know, obviously recent and long-term success. History is a top five program, consistent top 20 finishes. And obviously that's the goal of all this, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, it doesn't really come down to money at the end of the day. It's more of how, how good are you and right. how dominant and are you going to regularly uh, compete for conference and national champions? But I thought that he identified money as being a, a pretty solid uh, divider between all of these tiers. And that's something as college football fans, we don't talk enough about yes. because there are only a few schools that really have those deep pockets to where they can go pick off, you know, a head coach from Minnesota, or they can go pick off a Luke Fickle at Cincinnati mm-hmm. because the deep pocket pool, the boosters and how much that those schools really identify with the football program. And really to be quite honest with you, football is, their best marketing tool, right? right? And when it talks about getting applications in, you know, if you are a top tier one or tier two school and you're regularly in the conversation, you're going to do very well as a, as a educational institution as well, because Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to attract the best talent, not only athletically, but scholastically as well. So I thought that was, that was interesting. What really stood out to me. And it was something that us, Kenny, that we just don't talk about that much. Not only are you able to go pick maybe a top G5 coach out of somewhere and, and pay them you know, an absurd amount of money to come to your school, but you're also able to move on from coaching mistakes a lot easier too. You're able to set maybe a bigger buyout and then if you have to, pay that bigger buyout to get out from underneath your mistake. You know, Maybe Charlie Strong at Texas, you know, Les Miles at LSU, Mark Richt at Georgia, you know, you're Lane able to Kiffin at USC is another one that comes to mind. Yep. Exactly. These schools that you're able to, you know, Charlie Weiss was another one who had a big buyout that he was paid a lot of money to go away from Notre Dame. So you're able to, you're able to buy these coaches out when they're not performing and move on more quickly. Whereas, you know, if you don't have those deep pockets, you might have, you might be stuck with a coaching mistake for an extra two to three years because you just can't afford their buyout. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I think that's a constant theme, which you'll see here in Tier 1. Now, there's one Tier 2 school that I think should be a Tier 1 that he has listed here, but but let's let's get the debate rolling. So, without further ado, here are the the Tier 1 schools, and a lot of these will not surprise you. So, we've got Alabama, we've got Clemson, we've got Florida, Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Texas, 
and USC, and that rounds out his tier one. What do you think of that list, and is there anybody you think that's off of that list or that should be on that list? Uh, I think it's pretty flawless. I mean, Bama, Clemson, Florida, LSU, Ohio State have all won titles in the last 10 to 15 years. Oklahoma is a perennial title favorite. LSU won a title recently. Um, Georgia was in a national title game, has made the playoff multiple times. Florida's always in that conversation. Yeah, I guess in the McIlwain era, they kind of faded a little bit, but let's not forget about the monster they were, were under Urban Meyer and the monster they're becoming under Dan Mullen. Texas and USC are probably, the, which is crazy to say, are probably the two most questionable on the list, but I don't think they're questionable from a resource standpoint. They're just questionable because they haven't been playing up to their standards the last decade. USC's obviously had their, you know, their NCA sanction issues, which has really cost them probably the past decade. Not in, pretty appropriate that we're covering this with Reggie Bush and OJ Mayo now being allowed to be associated with the program again after a 10-year ban. What you have with those two schools is is you have California and Texas, and you're the two biggest dogs in those states, and you get to recruit from those states. So they they do deserve to be in Tier 1. I, the only one I thought that was left off was Notre Dame, in my opinion. That That's where I was going to go. I think he has Notre Dame in his Tier 2. To me, Notre Dame is still a Tier 1 school, yeah. not only from – recent and past success but I do believe they have the financial means to be up there with an Alabama Clemson Florida Georgia LSU Ohio State Oklahoma Texas and USC and they they truly have a national presence when it comes to recruiting you know one of these tier one schools knocks on your door as a high school recruit as a four-star or five-star recruit you're gonna listen and and you know those are ones that you really want to pay attention to so I'm with you I was surprised that Notre Dame was two on this list they probably would have been one for me the only one and this is going to sound crazy tier one that if i could switch it with notre dame i would switch clemson and let me tell you why i think clemson i think this is a a big time recency bias Mm -hmm. i think clemson's sustained success in financial pockets is more of a recent thing i don't think that that is indicative of the past 30 or 40 years as far as a quote-unquote blue blood. Now, do I think Clemson is a blue blood now? Absolutely. Do I think that they're one of the top three best college football programs in the country? Absolutely. I think it could be argued right now Clemson is the number one program in the country. It could be argued that. Uh, With the amount of talent they pulled out, their Mm -hmm. facilities, uh, their marketability, the money that they have. But Mm -hmm. if you're talking about long-term success – if that's a part of the equation and I was only limited to the pool that's here, I may switch Clemson to Notre Dame. I think that's the only one that could potentially be argued. Yeah, I guess it would depend on how much weight you would put on long-term success. But yes, Clemson definitely is a very, very recent powerhouse because obviously you and I grew up watching Tommy Bowden uh, at Clemson and they were you know, pretty mediocre. They were eight, nine-win team. They were you know, essentially what Virginia tech is now, you know, that was Clint. That's what Clemson was as you and I were growing up. It wasn't until Dabo took over and it really wasn't until a couple of years after Dabo took over. Did they become the program they are? So yeah, I guess if I, if, if I had to pull out somebody to replace with Notre Dame, Clemson would probably be that school just because of the, the recent, the recency of it. Um, 
But you know, I'm I'm okay with Clemson staying in if we can add Notre Dame as 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 well too. I don't have a problem with Clemson being a tier one team. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not either. I'm just saying if 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 you limited limited to me Correct. how many how many does he have here? Two, four, six, eight. He has nine. Um, the only one if if you said I could move Notre Dame, but I had to take out someone, I would potentially think about Clemson. But um, yeah. all the other ones, pretty pretty straightforward. They've been blue bloods in college football uh, for for decades. They've had sustained success. You know, obviously every school has their ups and downs, but like I said, tier one, they've just got deep pockets and they're able to hire, you know, give the head coach what he needs. Yep. And to your point, Kenny, if if there's a head coach where in two years it doesn't work out, that they go. And and there's no better example of that you look at Florida and what happened will with Will Muschamp after Urban Meyer left and they were yep. twenty eight twenty one and they got rid of him quick and he was he was thought of to be kind of the next great SEC yep. head coach when he took over for Urban Meyer, but that you know those are big shoes to fill. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more. They have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet online is hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. So now let's go to tier two. I think two tiers, two, uh, tier two is going to be an interesting conversation because there there are some in here that I think are pretty arguable. Mm-hmm. Um, Auburn, Auburn University, uh, Florida State University, Michigan. Uh, as we said, Notre Dame was in this tier two based on his article. Oregon, Penn State, mm-hmm. Texas A and M, and then my school, the University of Washington, is also a tier two school. So, yeah, uh, what do you think of of that list there? So as we talked about with Notre Dame, I think Notre Dame is probably too low. They should be a tier one school. And let me just say one more thing about Notre Dame. I don't think a lot of people realize this when they talk about Notre Dame, especially from a financial standpoint. They have their own television deal. Like they own NBC. NBC is Notre Dame sports. And that's why they don't join other conferences because they would have to split that money with other conference teams. Notre Dame gets a full TV deal to themselves, and it's a nationally televised TV deal. It's NBC. So I, I think they're a Tier 1 school. They should be moved up. Uh, I The only one I had an issue with being in here and I think should be a Tier 3 program now is Florida State. I don't think Florida State is a Tier 2 program, and the reason is they're financially in trouble. They're they're their facilities are starting to lag behind. They don't have the top facilities in the ACC. I don't. They're not even the top third of the facilities in the ACC. They have a serious cash shortfall because they were having to scrape together money just to fire Willie Taggart last year. And they, I mean, they literally had to raise money to fire Willie Taggart. And then they just paid Mike Norvell. They're out of money. They don't have a ton of money. They're very, very capital limited. And I just think they're not. The, I think they've fallen. They're the third program in Florida for sure behind behind um, University I'm sorry, of Florida. 
Yes, yes. Uh, sorry, I said the third program. They're the second. They're the second program in Florida. My apologies, but they're not a tier two school in my opinion. I just don't see it. They've, I think they've gone five hundred versus Wake Forest in the last decade. Like that's not a tier two program to me. That's not. Yeah. I, I I get they won a title pretty recently under Jimbo. I think that was more of a uh, of a credit to what Jimbo was doing, and Jimbo was very. Very vocal when he left talking about the lack of resources Florida State's going to have and the, the issues they're going to have in the next 10 to 15 years because they're not putting money into that program. That program is slowly decaying, and they cannot, they have not developed four- and five-star athletes because they recruit them. They recruit them. Athletes have not been the issue at Florida State. It's been develop, developing them, and they haven't been able to do it because their facilities aren't there and, their, and the investment from the athletic department and the university is not there. Yeah, I think when it comes to, you know, when you look at these tiers, I think you have to think of if you are a coach, you know, from the coaching perspective, where am I going to have the assets and where am I going to have the cash flow to keep good assistance, get good facilities and all that? Because I agree with you. I think Florida State on this list as a tier two school, I, I don't think of them as a, as a tier two college football coaching job at this time. Mm-hmm. I think that they're probably in this list because if you look in the late 80s all the way up to... 2015. I mean, that, that's one of that that it, it could have been argued they were a tier one program at that Correct. time, Agreed. based on you know the amount of recruits that they were getting in, how much success that they had had, uh, their their booster base, the money. But to your point, I think in the last five years they've really fallen off. And and you know not to get too too much in the weeds about Florida State, but I think that their coaching hires have been very less than stellar. At you know ever mm-hmm. you know since Jimbo has left. You know, Willie Taggart, I thought, was kind of like, you know, kind of a, a hot hire. But as as we can see, Taggart has, hasn't really succeeded since he's gotten to Florida State. He, he failed mm-hmm. at Florida State, got out of there. And, oh gosh, where is he now? He's at, I believe. He's at FAU? I think he's uh, at FAU. I, I think it's FIU. Uh, you're right. No, no, you're right. FAU. You're correct. Sorry, you're right. FAU. And before that, he was at Oregon. He was at Oregon for a year, then goes to Florida State. So, I think – I don't know. I mean, Florida State's kind of one of those cases where they could easily get back on the map if if they ha- start having some sustained success in the ACC, which, to be quite honest with you, aside from a, a few years with Jimbo Fisher, they just simply haven't done. Well, yeah, and if you remember, the last couple of years of the Bobby Bowden era wasn't very pristine. It wasn't that great. He was clearly... He was clearly time for him to move on, and the and the and the team and the records there weren't great. And then Jimbo took over, and there was this kind of boost. You know, he brought in Jameis Winston. They had a they had some good years with Jameis at quarterback, but then they fell right back off again. Jimbo left, and then Taggart era. I mean, I don't know. To me, I just they're trending down, and I think they're more of a tier three. You know, maybe tier two and a half would be an appropriate spot for them. But for me, I would take them out of tier two and put them in tier three. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the other interesting case uh, in here is Texas Mm A&M. And I think the only reason why Texas A&M is in this category, and if they didn't have this, they would be a Tier 3 college football job here. Um, And that's, frankly, for sustained success. I I don't think as a college – I don't think Texas A&M as a college football blue blood as far as their success on the field. Now, they're in this Tier 2 because they spend money just like a Tier (laughs) 1 in order to attract head coaching talent, in order to upgrade Kyle Field, uh, in order to upgrade all of their practice facilities, uh, the money that they give coaches, the the money that they give assistants, and just – 
the fire in that booster base in order to make Texas A&M just as good as Texas. It's almost like a, they feel so much like a little sister that they're a little brother that they just want to fight to be just like Texas, and they certainly spend like it. They, they print money in Texas A&M. They print money in Texas A&M, which is very interesting, though, because I, I believe it was a year or two ago, Forbes magazine came out and ranked the most, like, the most, not profitable, but the the athletic departments that were worth, the football programs that were worth the most money, and Texas A&M was number one. Interesting. Like, yeah, they were the they were the most they were number one, and so they have money. They have money to spend, and they're not afraid to spend it. It it still hasn't quite amounted to titles. It hasn't. It really hasn't even amounted to conference titles because I can't remember the last time they won a a Big Twelve championship before they moved over to the SEC. But then they've never won an SEC championship. So it has the the success hasn't equaled what they're paying out, but. They're trying to sell us that Jimbo's the answer there at Texas A and M, and and if this is the, if he is, this is the year he's got to prove it. This is the year, but yeah, but te- but to go back, I don't want to go into a preview of what they're doing, but they're a tier two team just because of money, a hundred percent. Yeah, I'd be curious to read that Forbes article. I think that's extremely interesting. I'd I'd love to 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 see what happened now. To say that Texas A M hasn't had some really good years in the nineties, you know, they had looks like four or five ten win seasons. And then, of course, since then, of course, you had Johnny Football there mm-hmm. uh, winning a Heisman Trophy, and they were really dynamic with Kevin Sumlin. But, you know, to your point, you know, they, they print money, but it hasn't really given away to this success on the field that makes them a blue blood program. So that's interesting there in Tier 2. Now, let's get to Tier 3 because I think there are schools in here we would bump up to Tier 2. Correct. Uh, and let me run through this list. So we've got – and, and – and, schools in this tier three we would actually bump to tier four Mm -hmm. um so here are the programs we've got arizona state got baylor i got iowa louisville miami michigan state nebraska oklahoma state stanford tcu tennessee ucla utah virginia tech and wisconsin it's it's crazy seeing tennessee in tier three because they were so good when we were younger. And the last 20 years have just not been kind to them. But the one that really, really, really stands out to me in this tier that should be a Tier 2 program, and I think this is the biggest swing and miss this article has, is Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin, I, I agree. agree Wisconsin is, in the last decade, Wisconsin has been, I think, four Rose Bowls, a Cotton Bowl, and an Orange Bowl. They've been a very, very outstanding program the last decade. And they've really been an outstanding program the last 20 years. But the last decade has been really great to them. And I think for them to be Tier 3 is crazy. I think they're I think they're a quarterback away most years from being a national title contender. That's the only downfall at Wisconsin is they just haven't had a quarterback outside of the one year they had Russell Wilson. Like they've had a bunch of average guys like John Stucco and – uh, and Jack Cohn, like it's the same guy. It's this very immobile quarterback, statuesque quarterback. If they could find a quarterback for a couple of years to pair with that running game and the awesome defense they normally have, they would. I think. I think they're a no-brainer tier two, and they should be a tier two regardless. Yeah. So listen to this stat. So in the last fifteen years, guess how many double-digit win seasons they've had in the last fifteen seasons? I'm gonna say nine. 10. 
close. Wow. You were close on that one. Uh, the in, inside that time, there were also three seasons where they had nine wins. So you're talking about, in my opinion, a school that plays like a blue blood. I mean, a school that just constantly churns out double-digit win seasons. Uh, since 1998, they've been to six Rose Bowls. Uh, where they've gone two and four, uh, two and four in those, but they've also gone to a bunch of New Year's Day bowls, Outback bowls, Capital One bowls, um, Cotton bowls, Orange mm-hmm. Bowl. I mean, the level of success they've had at, at Wisconsin, I think, is has almost been unparalleled. If you look at how consistent that they've been in the Big Ten, and again, playing in the Big Ten. So I agree with you. I think Wisconsin definitely moves up into a tier two. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple other notables here, like you, you mentioned, Tennessee. I think Tennessee spends like a tier two and a tier one. They just haven't had the success on the field. Correct. I think Miami is also an interesting case here. I think tier three is probably perfect for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't even consider them in a tier two because the last 10 years have frankly been pretty much a huge disaster for them. <laughs> um, I think they're uh, Baylor is also an interesting one. Um, and I'll let you talk a little bit about Baylor, but They've had some really high high seasons, and of course, they've had one to two win seasons, and a lot of controversy there at Baylor. Yeah, I mean, growing up, Baylor was terrible. Baylor was awful, and then Art Bryles came into the picture, and Robert Griffin came into the picture, and they totally changed the entire culture at Baylor. They became an afterthought in Texas to being, quite frankly, a a a top-tier Big 12 program for about five to six years. You know, you had Robert Griffin, Bryce Petty. Those teams were awesome. Josh Gordon, uh, Sean Oakman. I mean, you name it, you had a bunch of studs there. But the problem is, you know, they had their scandal. And I'm not going to get into the whole scandal thing. But, and now, that and then Matt Rule kind of brought them back. So what Baylor, what what is Baylor? Baylor's an enigma. Are they a, a tier three program? Or are they, because I, Growing up, to me, they were a Tier 5 program. You know, this was a school that won one to two to three games a year in the Big 12. They were the they were the tune-up game in the Big 12 for almost everybody forever. So, and then the last really decade they've kind of come on, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm torn with Baylor. Part of me thinks they fit here in Tier 3, and part of me thinks they belong in Tier 4. My my whole thing is, if, Wisconsin, if, you, if you're dead set on keeping Wisconsin in Tier 3, then a about 75% of the teams in Tier 3 deserve to drop down to Tier 4 because I don't think yeah. they're on Wisconsin's level. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you that. Couple, couple schools, I think it's a stretch. I think Arizona State's a stretch. Yeah. Uh, I think Louisville is certainly a stretch. I think that they've had uh, a really good run here the last 10 years. Uh, I don't think they recruit nationally very well. I mean, they're a very regional mm-hmm. uh, recruiting. Think about Baylor's. You do have a lot of money in Texas, and you know they love football in Texas, so they're certainly going to pay for it down there. A couple other schools, Oklahoma State, uh, I, I think they're right there in Tier 3. I think you yeah. can make an argument for them to be in a Tier 4, but I think I'd be comfortable keeping them at Tier 3. Stanford's an interesting one because Stanford does recruit nationally. They have a national draw, but they have a national draw because it's Stanford and they're a prestigious uh, academic institution, not necessarily that they have been a complete powerhouse. I think long-term, if you look at their football program, uh, it hasn't been very great. Yeah, they've had, they had some, some big time players in the eighties and John Elway uh, and had a couple seasons there. And then Mm -hmm. I think their success is very, very new. So to put Stanford in the same tier as Tennessee, I think is interesting. Utah, I think that's more of a recent phenomenon. Yeah. Um, obviously, it, I, I think it's a good job 
And I think it belongs in tier three because uh, you can recruit on the West Coast and you can get guys there. And, you know, they've shown at Utah to, to perform extremely well, especially in the last 15, 20 years. I think Virginia Tech, it, it could be argued recent recency that could be a tier four, but I think they belong in tier three here. I think that I think mm -hmm. they are probably right there at the midway point when you're talking about uh, uh, P5 college football jobs and if you're going to leave or if you're going to go. Tier, tier three is the most volatile tier, I think, in this whole list, uh, which makes sense because it's right smack dab in the middle of the five. But it's to me, it's the most volatile because you've had you have schools on here who have had very very high peaks. You know, Arizona State with Jake Plummer. Uh, you know, late '90s, early 2000s were pretty good, and they've had some decent seasons in between there. Obviously, Miami won some national titles in the late '90s, early 2000s. Louisville's had some. They've they've won a couple Orange Bowls in the Petrino in the two in the Petrino eras. They've had Heisman winners like Lamar Jackson. Michigan State, same thing. They've I think they've had a couple Rose Bowl bursts, a couple Big Ten title wins. Nebraska obviously has fallen on hard times, but was one of the most consistent programs of the 90s, the 2000s, and the early 2000s. Even with Bo Pelini, they were a 9-10 and 10 win team. Um, it wasn't until they until they got rid of Pelini that they really, really fell in some hard times. You know, it's it's interesting because these teams have had the, like Stanford was has been bad, then Harbaugh brought them back. Uh, Tennessee was great, then they fell off. UCLA is kind of interesting. I think UCLA is there just because they're in Los Angeles, but they've, UCLA hasn't done anything anything and since i can remember i mean the last time they were good i mean even when maurice jones drew was there they weren't even that great like i can't remember the last time i think kate kate mcnown was the quarterback last time ucla did anything of note like this that has to be facilities and, and finance that keeps them in tier three yeah i think so too because ucla is like the ultimate mediocre program right so if i look back since 2000 they have three 10-win seasons, and then I'm seeing a lot of sixes, fours, sevens, eights. <laughs> I mean, very mediocre. And even before that, I mean, in the 90s and the 80s, very mediocre. So I'm with you. And then if you look at the head coaching stuff, I mean, you had Jim Morrow had a couple big years there. Uh, Rick Neuheisel, obviously, he was the he was supposed to be the you know the prodigal son coming home and turning the program around. And you know, all he did in four years of Six wins, four four wins, seven seven wins, and then four wins again. So, I I think it could be made a case that UCLA goes to four. But again, if you have money into the equation, that's where I think UCLA sticks there. So I would have loved to seen him come up with this list, but do it a formula wise, right? Like so, yeah. you take each of the five categories and then you rank it one through five. And then you just come up with a formula and, so and you see where all them. these, yeah. All, yeah, see where all these land. Because I'm with you, this tier three is kind of a hodgepodge. I mean, you have past programs that have been great that aren't good now. You have some that are great that haven't successfully, haven't long term been great, and then you just have schools just because they have money. So right. I think it's uh, I think I think tier three is interesting. Now, getting to tier four, I think a lot of these start to make sense. Um, Start at the top here. It's mm -hmm. actually the biggest out of all his tiers. Got Arkansas, got Cal, Colorado, Georgia Tech, Kansas State, Kentucky, Maryland, Minnesota, Mississippi State, Missouri, North Carolina, NC State, Northwestern, Ole Miss, Pitt, Purdue, South Carolina, 
Texas Tech, University of Virginia, Washington State, and West Virginia. It's a lot, and rightfully so. I The only one that really stood out to me that I thought could go into Tier 3 was probably Ole Miss. That was my biggest one. That was my biggest one. I, I think if Ole Miss is a Tier 4, then there's no way Mississippi State is. Starkville doesn't hold a candle to Oxford at all. Like, it's not even close. And I I think Ole Miss has shown that they can recruit, that they can get the talent there. I know Mississippi State had a couple good years under Dan Mullen, and and I know they were the they were actually what's funny, Mississippi State will go down the record book as being the first number one team of the college football playoff rankings. Cause remember they were ranked number one when Dak was there. They were undefeated. They were the first playoff first number one playoff team in their initial rankings. But yeah, Ole Miss to me, because I think there's money there. I think the campus is gorgeous. I think the facilities are nice. And they're they've been shown that they've been able to recruit big time talent. I mean, I know Robert Kimdichie didn't really pan out, but guys like that have always you know committed to Ole Miss. You've had guys like Patrick Willis, Eli Manning was in Ole Miss. Traditionally, they've had some success. So I think Ole Miss was the one school that really, really stuck out to me as a Tier 4 program that probably should be Tier 3. Okay. Uh, I think the one that would move up into Tier 3 for me would be West Virginia. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of an insult to have West Virginia, you know, kind of in there with Missouri and North Carolina and Kentucky and Kansas State. I think West Virginia has shown really a long history of success, and they've shown that they've been able to hire and attract good coaching talent to be there. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the booster base that isn't as strong, which is why they're in Tier 4 here. I do think West Virginia is a pretty decent job, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you compare it to some of these other ones. I I thought your Ole Miss one is interesting. I'd buy that argument. I'd buy that one. Two that I think could possibly drop into Tier 5 for me, and I was a little bit stunned that they were on this list, and mainly because I just think they're bad jobs. I think they're really hard jobs. Uh, One is the University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. I think University of Maryland is an incredibly difficult job now that they're in the Big Ten. It's a school that really has never been great at football. Uh, Their facilities, I think, are Um, Mm so-so. They do have a decent booster base and decent money that really wants to see that football program succeed. But at the end of the day, I I just don't think they've been very very good over the lifespan of that program. I I think it's a tougher place to Mm -hmm. recruit generally. Mm -hmm. They're in a very rich backyard of that Northern Virginia, Southern Maryland talent. Uh, that has, again, some of the best high school football in the country when you're talking yep. about WCAC football. So those you don't know out there, so when you see top high school football programs, you routinely see Gun- uh, you routinely see DeMatha, you see Good Council, you Good see Gonzaga, Gonzaga mm-hmm. and you know recently you see a lot of St. John's. And St. John's, I think, plays a national schedule now. So, yep. And they've been able to pick off guys here or there to go from those schools there, but – in general, they, they have a tough time keeping talent at home. I, I think it's a really tough job. Maybe Tier 4 is right just because they do have access to really good recruits. But I think that's one of the tougher jobs out there. The other tough job I think is out there, and it's I've echoed it on the show, and I think the only reason that they're in Tier 4 is because they've been a decent football program the last 10, 15, 20 years has been Georgia Tech. Uh, I think Georgia Tech is another extremely difficult place to uh, to recruit at. You're really in the middle of Blue Blood Nation 
when you talk about Clemson's only a couple hours away, Auburn's a couple hours away, Alabama's a couple hours away, you share a recruiting state with Georgia, um, you know, Florida's not far away, you know, you start to get into North Carolina country from there. So mm-hmm. I think Georgia Tech probably four is where they belong. I think if you said, hey, I would drop Georgia Tech down to a tier five, I could potentially buy it. I think the only reason they're here is because they have had decent success over the last 10, 15 years. But as a P5 job, I think it's a hard job to sell. And I think the only reason that they've had that success is because they ran an offense that was so unique that it it really made them successful on the offensive side of the ball. So those were two of the schools that Mm -hmm. stuck out to me that if you said, hey, Brandon, those are going down to tier five, I wouldn't shed a tear. Yeah, I agree with Maryland. Maryland's been tough. I think you said, I think the reason Maryland is probably tier four is they do have a decent booster program there. They have a lot of money in the DMV area. I do think so. But yeah, Maryland outside of the Frisian era has been atrocious forever. I mean, they've just been awful, you know, before and after Frisian. You know, that was the dumbest thing they ever did was force him out. Yeah. Georgia Tech, I'm 50-50 on. I, I definitely get what you're talking about with uh, Georgia Tech having a hard time recruiting. I'm excited to see what Jeff Collins can do there. The more and more I listen to that guy and the more and more I read about him, I kind of like him. I thought it was a bad hire at first. I wasn't necessarily sold on it, but he's kind of turning me. And he's had some he's had he's he's had two good recruiting classes in 20 he's had a good recruiting class in 2020 and he's having a really good recruiting class right now in 2021. So it seems like if he can break through that recruiting wall, Personally, you and I, Gless, I loved, I loved the area. I loved Buckhead. I loved being in, you know, going to all those Georgia Tech bars when we were in Atlanta. Like that was a really fun area. So I think that kind of sells itself a little bit. But you're right. I mean, there's so many good SEC and ACC schools that are recruiting in that area, and Georgia Tech's just not on that level. So I get, I get where you're going with that. The two that, the other two that caught my eye, and and I think we're going in completely different directions. I think Washington State is a tier five program. Pullman is in the middle of nowhere, western or eastern Washington. They succeeded because they hired the guy who really and I'll put Texas Tech in this category. Actually, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna put Texas Tech in this category too. Texas Tech and Washington State to me, I think outside of Mike Leach, are are tier five programs. And with Mike Leach, they're tier four programs. And that's because neither team has done anything outside of a handful of a couple winning seasons without Mike Leach. Mike Leach has been by far the most successful coach at either program. And it's really because he run, he's, he's a pirate. He does things his own way. He's a lunatic fringe. And that fits perfect at schools like Texas tech and Washington state, because he can draw in his own kind of talent, his own kind of people, his own kind of staff and do things how he wants because they've had no success prior and I'm really skeptical if they're going to have success after, too. They, well, Texas Tech hasn't had success after. And I'm really skeptical if Washington State can as well. I think yeah. it takes a special coach to win there. And I think Mike Leach severely elevated Tech, Texas Tech and Washington State. In my opinion, I think they're Tier 5 programs. Yeah, so I, I, I'll push a little bit back on Washington State because I think if you look since 2000, they've had probably more success than, than you think. Um, actually, if you go back to uh, 1997, they've been to uh, several Rose Bowls. They've had one, two, three, four, five, six, six double double win seasons. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I do think it's a tough place to recruit to, and they certainly get you know generally two to three stars, and it does take somebody special there. 
But I do think Washington State has had years, right? They have good three, four-year runs where they'll constantly be challenging for the Pac-12 North and then back then, back then it was the Pac-10. I mean, there were 2001, 2002, 2003 where they won 10 win seasons. Mm-hmm. And then recently, 2016, 17, 18, where they went uh, – I'm sorry, 15 – you went 9, 8, 9, and 11. So I think that unlike some of these other programs, like if you look at like a Missouri or a North Carolina or an NC State, Washington State has shown to have success on the field. Some of these programs are like, oh, I don't know. I think what holds Washington State back is the money that goes into that program, and it's yeah. hard to convince somebody to go there, and it's a tough place to recruit. So I could, I, I, I hear it, I, but I think Tier 4 is probably perfect for Washington State. Yeah, I think I think personally, I think Texas Tech stinks. They're 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 a tier five. <laughs> they're a tier five program, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I I don't think. I mean, well, if you look, I th- look at Mike. Look, everything before and after Mike Leach has been pretty bad. I mean, even with Pat Mahomes, they didn't. They had Pat Mahomes on their team, and they couldn't do much. Yeah, like that's that's a problem to me. And the only other school I saw on here that I thought. I don't think they're they they shouldn't leave tier four yet, but I do think they have an arrow pointed to tier three, and that is UVA. And I and we you and I had a debate about this I think two or three years ago, and I said I think I like what UVA is doing because they're copying the Stanford model. And Tony Bennett, I remember when he started recruiting when he was hired as the basketball coach there, and he was a Wazoo guy, and UVA hired him, and he said, "Hey, we're taking this program national." There's a there's a 10 to 15 year blueprint that the AD and the athletic department have in place to where they're going to upgrade all the facilities. And, and, you know, I'm very fortunate enough to where I've been able to kind of take trips to Charlottesville. I'm very close to Charlottesville. I've been able to see what they're doing down there. Gless, it's like a completely different world than it was 10 years ago. Charlottesville is booming, A. B, the, the facilities and the campus are expanding like crazy. And C, they're recruiting nationally now, and and it's shown. Look, I mean, their basketball program won a national title. They're now the most endowed program, athletic program in the state of Virginia. They've passed Virginia Tech, and Bronco Mendenhall, the head coach of Virginia, just donated five hundred thousand dollars of his own money back into the program because that was their goal. He said, "If we can become the most endowed athletic program in the state, I'll donate five hundred thousand dollars of my own money on top of that," which he just did. And they just made an Orange Bowl because they played in the ACC championship last year. They were the runner-up in the ACC to Clemson. So I think Virginia, not quite at a tier four yet, but I do think they have a rocket. And in the next three or four years could very, very well find themselves as a tier three program. Yeah, like to me, I'd, I, I I like that and I agree with you 100%. I would actually swap out UCLA and Virginia. I think Virginia is the better mm. job than UCLA. Agree. And then, you know, you could potentially put uh, West Virginia uh, potentially replacing a TCU or an Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. But I like your argument for, for Virginia and I agree. They, they are in a state that has rich high school football talent. Obviously, we're a little biased figuring that we live in the state of Virginia. But they've they've been a, been able to show over the last 10, 15 years that they've been able to recruit high talent. And the Bronco Mendenhall changing that recruiting blueprint to be like Stanford because University of Virginia is such a prestigious university and really to sell that all over the country mm-hmm. uh, as a pro. And if you look at his recruiting classes, they're from all over. I mean, you've got kids from Florida. You've got kids from Texas. You've got kids from California. I mean, they're able to really reach out there and convince 
high-quality football talent to come to Virginia. And they were an extremely competitive team last year. Yeah, they went to the ACC championship, but they just happened to draw the the bad straw of having to play possibly the best team in the country in Clemson. And yeah. most teams would have been embarrassed on national television, just like Virginia was, but it doesn't mean that they're far off. And, and, and I agree with you. And if you look at their facilities down there, I've, I saw it down there when Mike London was there, they were making investments in the program, uh, redoing a lot of the locker rooms, redoing uniforms, and it really is a good atmosphere. So I, I agree with you. I think an argument could be made that Virginia ends up moving into Tier 3 for the sake that there's a lot of money coming in that program, and that program is certainly moving up in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So I agree. agree with that. So let's move to Tier 5. Um, these, you know, A lot of these are, are not going to surprise people. I do think that one is interesting that I think could move into Tier 4, uh, but we'll get to that here in a bit. So we got Arizona, uh, the old Wildcats. Uh, we got Boston College. We've got Duke, got Illinois, we've got Indiana, got Iowa State, got the University of Kansas, got Oregon State, Rutgers, Syracuse, Vanderbilt, and then I hate to say it, Kenny, but your Wake Forest <laughs> Demon Deacons are a tier five. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. Look, I, I don't. I don't take it personally. Wake. I would rank Wake Forest as a tier five program. They're, I think, the fourth worst program in NCAA history in terms of winning percentage. They've. I think I now have made 14 bowl games in like 102 years, four of them coming in the last four years. So, look, yeah, I, I didn't make no bones about it. Wake Forest is the smallest P5 program out there. They are the smallest P5 program. It's very hard to recruit there. They have very high academic standards. And it's just – and they're in the eight, and they're in a P5 program. You know, they're, a, they're probably a G5 size school in a P5 program in a P5 conference. So it's extremely difficult, which is why I think Dave Clawson is the most, that's why I shout it to anybody who will listen. Dave Clawson is the most slept on coach in football right now, in college football. You take a program as historically bad as Wake is, and you take them to four straight bowl games and win three of the four, and against programs like Texas A&M and Temple and Michigan State, you know, these, or sorry, we didn't beat Michigan State, but that's who we played. You know, they, they consistently outpunch where they're ranked, but I would put them as a tier five program. It's a very program that it's a program that's very dependent on development. Uh, Duke is the same way. Duke is pretty much a carbon copy of Wake Forest. It's a very small private school. The you know, one of the smaller P five programs, high academic standards. Um, you know, Syracuse, Rutgers, Boston College are in the Northeast. It's very tough to build program football programs in the Northeast. It's just not a very rich football tradition up that way. Those, yeah. those are tough. I, I think they belong in there too. Okay. I, I, the only one I'll make an argument for is Boston College. I think if you look at Tier 4s, I think Boston College is every bit as good as a job like Kansas State or as a job like Kentucky, mm -hmm. or a job like Purdue. I think Boston College is every bit as good as that. Uh, I think that they've done a good job, especially when uh, Steve Adazio was there. You look at Jeff, uh, Jeff Jaganiski when he was there, Tom O'Brien. I mean, if you look at what they've been doing really since the early 90s, starting in 1992, I mean, they, they've had several double-digit win seasons. They've had a ton, nine, eight win seasons. And then as of recently... I mean, yeah, I mean, it looks like out of the last seven years, five of those have been seven-win seasons. So 
And then 2007, 2006, when Matt, you know, Matt Ryan was there, they had 11 wins and 10 wins. And then even mm-hmm. before that, in the early 2000s, nine wins, eight wins, nine wins, eight wins, seven wins. I think that they probably get a bad rap because they're in the Northeast and it's a little yeah. bit tougher. But they do have money going in there, man. In 2008, they announced a $52 million indoor uh, practice facility that they, they're building at Boston College. And Steve Adazio was a big part of that getting that there. So if you're talking about being able to spend money and driving recruits there and being able to have sustained success on the football field, I think Boston College is not a Tier 5 program. I would put them in a Tier 4, and I may change that out uh, for like a, a Maryland or something like that because I think Boston College has at least shown that they've been able to be competitive for a significant amount of time. And, you know, you talk about Wake and, uh, you know, and this goes back to how we define the tiers. Tiers four and five don't get the four and five-star recruits. They just don't, you know, so no. they really rely on developing talent. And Boston College, in my opinion, has been able to do that. They've been, they were competitive in the Big East. And in my opinion, they're competitive in the ACC. So I, I think that's the one school that I had a problem with that I would have bumped up to tier four. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, if, if you said, hey, they're at a tier five, wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't shed a tier. But I think there's an argument to be made for Boston College. No, that's a fair point, Gless. I, you know, you bring up some good points there. And, and you're probably right. The more I think about it, like if you if I was a head coach and you were to offer me a job at Boston College, compared to some of the schools in tier four, like I would definitely take Boston, like you said, I would take Boston college over Kansas state. I would take Boston college over Texas tech, Washington state, um, Purdue. You know, yeah. Purdue would be an, an easy one. So yeah, I, I agree with you there. Maryland for sure. I would take Boston college over. I think yeah. until so, recently, I till and then until recently, I mean, Minnesota's had a couple of nice, nice years, mm-hmm. but before that, I mean, we're, you know, is, is Minnesota has generally not been known as a, a Big Ten powerhouse. So yeah. um, I think, you know, it could have been argued that Minnesota had been a Tier 5 team too. You know which one surprised me at first? Because at, at first glance, I looked at it and I was like, wait a minute, hold on. I was like, how's this school only a Tier 5? They're probably a Tier 4. And it was Iowa State that jumped out at me at first. A, because you think of Matt Campbell and you know he's a – superstar coach in the making. He's going to lead a team to a national championship one day. It's not going to be Iowa State, but whatever program he jumps to next, the higher a higher P5 program, he'll he'll lead to a national championship. He's been phenomenal. But then I I sat back there and realized I was like I was like Iowa State, I didn't realize this. I saw this stat. Iowa State is one of 3 teams in P5 who have never won 10 games in a season. Can you do you know the other two teams, Gless? That have never won your, t- off top yeah. of my head. I mean, Off I the top guess, of your head. Uh, I would guess Duke and Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's one, Indiana's the other. So, and they're both in Indiana, huh? Yep, and they're so both in tier five. Yeah, they're both in tier five as well. And I sat there and think, I was like, man, Iowa State. You know, they had Seneca Wallace. They have all this because Iowa State always seems to have decent talent. But yeah, I mean, it's just not there. Ames is, you know, I don't know. It's just it's not the it's not the place it's not the place I guess, but. I, I, I don't really, like you said, outside of Boston College, I don't really have an issue with everybody else who's in Tier 5. Yeah, I think Iowa, Iowa State's a tough sell. I mean, until the last three years, I mean, they've been, th- you know, a lot of a lot of three wins, two win seasons. Um, early 2000s, you know, like you said, when they had Seneca Wallace, you know, a couple seven-win seasons there. But, I mean, they just, it's, they're just not a huge program, and they, they mm-hmm. don't they don't consistently succeed. And, 
And I'll be honest with you, I don't know how much money is coming into Iowa State football program either. <laughs> Can't I, be I don't think that they have a, a large um, a large booster base. One one school that's in here that occasionally has really good seasons, uh, uh, Oregon State, I think is interesting. Um, they just simply don't have the boosters or the or the recruiting or the facilities to do it. But if if you outweighed on-field success, I think you could possibly make an argument that Oregon State mm -hmm. is the upper echelon of, of Tier 5 programs. Um, you know, I've never understood Illinois, why Illinois couldn't get it together and, and recruit better because yeah. it seems like everybody around them recruits well. Wisconsin, Missouri, right? Like, they, And Illinois just seems to get none of those dudes. Um, Notre Dame is not far from the Illinois campus. I just, I don't understand, but Illinois can't seem to get it together. Um, and nor have they really ever been a consistent winner except in like the sixties. <laughs> well, and, and what, and what surprises me about Illinois, and I would like to hear someone talk about this. I'd like to hear someone from Chicago to talk about this is they're in the Chicago like market. Remember Chicago, the Chicago bears played their games when they were in redoing Soldier Field. Yeah, in yep. Champaign. I mean, they're they're like two hours outside of Chicago. It's not far. You know, they're right there between Indianapolis and Chicago. I'm, I, it's always surprised me between being those two big markets how they haven't been able to attract talent. And, yep. and really, same with Indiana. Indiana's the same way. Indiana's in that Illinois area, too. So, Vandy, I get. Vandy's tough. Vandy's a very, very, very prestigious academic program. In, in the South, and they're stuck in the SEC. If Vanderbilt was probably in a different conference, they you know they probably have more success. But I mean, that's like putting Wake or Duke or really any of these other schools in in the SEC. Yeah, exactly. I think they're just a, a victim of being in a conference in the SEC East in that division where they're just <laughs> you know it's just. I mean, let's call it what it is. It's a developmental program, right? It's where head coaches go, and if you're any what somewhat successful you're going to get a bigger job aka james franklin, james franklin being the yep. being the example of that uh you know aside from a few players here and there i mean just really i mean Van vanderbilt's tough and it you loved it because they have two things going for they actually have three things going for them they have the city right they're right in downtown nashville i mean mm -hmm. who wouldn't want to play and live in that city uh yet you, you have the uh the base of alumni, right? If you go to Vanderbilt, you're, you know, one of the high-end acad academic institutions. And that's kind of my third point. It's a high-end ac uh, academic institution. You know, why couldn't you, why couldn't you follow the Stanford or the University of Virginia model to where, you know, you really attract national talent and yeah. you're able to make moves? But I think, to your point, Kenny, you're 100% right. They're just a victim of being in a conference that, frankly, I mean, they just don't have a chance of winning. Um, wow. you know, unless, you know, the stars aligned and you're able to develop some freak talent. So, you know, you know, you're not a football program when I, so I was watching the MLB draft last night and my, me and my buddy texting back and forth and, and the, somebody picked, I forget who it was, but somebody picked, uh, the Vanderbilt shortstop, like in the top five. And I was like, and I'm watching the highlights and I'm just texting. I was like, dude, I would love 
to be the like an all-American baseball player at Vanderbilt in downtown Nashville because they have an awesome baseball program. They're 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 competing for a national title every year and I was like, dude, that would be one of if I was a top baseball recruit, it would be very 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 hard not to go to Vanderbilt. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's such an ideal place. But here but then there there's the other argument of like, well, we can do it in other sports, why can't we do it in football? Um, but as we all know, college football is not it is not a linear thing where you hire a coach and things mm-hmm. automatically move up. You just have to get better over time and, and win and develop buzz around your program uh, in yeah. order to get enough money to even be competitive because they're, they're just so behind in the SEC East. And it's just uh, it, it's tough to see that because they're good in other sports. So, so, so there's that. Kenny, I do want to throw a, a, a curveball here, a little mm-hmm. bonus Tier one. Yeah. Now we talked about tier one, tier two, three, four, five with the Power Five conference. And for those listening, that's the ACC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the SEC, and the who am I missing? Why can't ACC? A- ACC. Um, G five is anybody outside of that really? That is a division, you know, division one conference. So why don't we go over your tier one G five programs? Who do you like there? Yeah, so I think the obvious one is Boise. <laughs> Boise's probably been the top G5 program for the last 20 years. Outside of maybe a year or two here or there where like UCF or Cincinnati overtook them, Boise's year in and year out been the top G5 program. So I think Boise's a tier one. Cincinnati is. Cincinnati gets – we talked about this a couple weeks ago in recruiting roundup. Cincinnati gets to recruit in the talent-rich Ohio area. And if you have a head coach worth a salt – like Butch Jones or Brian Kelly when they were coming through there. Now you have Luke Fickle. When you get a good coach and you pair it with Cincinnati, they're always one of the top G5 programs. Houston. Houston is a top G5. Yeah, Houston's a top G5 program, in my opinion, because you have the Fertitta. Uh, Fertitta, who is the power broker there at Houston, he's a billionaire who pumps tons of money into that program. They just built a brand new stadium, which is state of the art. So there's a lot of they're they're a fringe P5 type of program. UCF, as much as it aggravates me to talk about UCF because their national championship stuff that bugs me to no end. But they, you know, they're in Orlando. They have tons of booster money. They have tons of talent in that area to recruit from. So that's a that's an easy one. And I would say probably outside of that, BYU would be up there. You know, they, they have a national presence. Obviously, they're a very big um, school in terms of the Mormon population that goes there. They're a Mormon school, a Latter-day Saint school, but they have a lot of clout, a lot of money, a lot of boosters, and they've had success in the past, and they've had success recently too. I'd say those would probably be mine, and the fringe ones that just missed out would be Memphis. I think Memphis is a sleeping giant, and you've seen what Justin Fuente and Mike Nor, especially Mike Norvell, have been able to do there. Memphis has talent there. There's dudes in the town of Memphis. Like Memphis is an athletic haven. There's a lot of guys who come out of Memphis who go to the University of Tennessee, who go to Oklahoma, who go to these Midwest schools and really do well. And if Memphis can tap into that, they there and they have been. They're slowly rising toward that tier one status. And I think the only other one that I would consider tier one, which I I don't have them there yet, but they're on the fringe would be SMU. SMU being in the state of Texas. We saw what could happen when they 
We saw what happened pre-death penalty. They were a national title contender, and then they got the death penalty, which was the harshest penalty in all of college sports to this day, and it really killed the program for 30 years. But now they've, they have a, a good coach there. They're starting to recruit well again. They're in the top 30 this year in recruiting. So SMU would be another school that, I would, that would be moving up quickly to Tier 1. I think those are all excellent. There's three that I have that you didn't mention there that I'm going to throw a little bonus one because I think it's an interesting argument. One, um, I'm going to throw a school out, Fresno State. Uh, since 1969, they actually boast a, a, fi- you know, a 582 winning percentage, uh, which for a G- G- uh, G5 school is outstanding. Um, they're in first-rate territory for recruiting. Um, but just like any of these G- G5 schools, you generally have budget challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that there were some really great years in the 90s and even in the early 2000s where they've been competitive. Uh, San Diego State's another one. I think San Diego State has has had a really solid football program for the last 30, 40 years. And you are in Southern California. You're in the beautiful city of San Diego. Um, mm-hmm. And again, they've proved mm-hmm. that they've been able to play with the big boys and they routinely play a tough non-conference schedule when you talk about Pac-12 opponents and they've really been able to hold them, uh, you know, hold, uh, hold themselves. But I think that, you know, just being in Southern California, um, being in the state or being in San Diego and really having that rich recruiting base to go from, I think that's also another decent job. Um, the only other one I'll throw in here because I know that it's going to make you puke um, is going to be UCF. <laughs> Um, and that's really just a recent phenomenon, by the yeah. way. That 25 and one over the last two years, um, they've won at least 10 games the last four, uh, or they've won at least 10 games on four other occasions dating back to 2007. Um, they're right in Florida, and I think that they've really done a great job of capitalizing off of down years for Florida State, down years from Miami, and down years. Uh, for the University of Florida, even with some of that. And they were able to kind of grab some talent here and there. Uh, so th- those are some ones that, that I think are pretty notable. Uh, ones that I think are, are an interesting conversation because they're, they're kind of their own bucket. Um, I think the academies are also interesting. I think that yep. Navy has shown great success over the last 20 20 years in, in what they do and the offense that they recruit. But when you talk about recruiting nationally, I mean, the Naval Academy's up there. I mean, they can, they can go into any house. Now it takes a special kind of kid. You're not going to get two, three, or you're not going to, I'm sorry, you're not going to get the three, four, five-star recruits, but you know, you're going to get a football program that consistently wins. Um, and in a, uh, a place that I think the facilities are pretty good. You're in Annapolis, Maryland. I think that's decent. I think Army is a tough sell. Um, mm-hmm. And then Air Force Academy, I know that they've had their years here and there, um, and they've fallen off as of recent times. But that you know, the academies are also an interesting one. But when you talk about national appeal, they're the ones. If you go find a certain type of kid, a kid who may be two inches shorter, or maybe he's twenty pounds lighter, but he's a good football player. Um, you know, they're certainly able to grab those kids and, and be successful. So I wouldn't yeah. say that they are top quote unquote G5 jobs at all, but I think that those are intriguing jobs for guys that are looking to move up the chain. You know, what's always been a head scratcher for me in terms of G5 programs who have just never had sustained, sustained success is Tulane. Tulane being in New Orleans, they're in the heart of one of the most talent rich states and they have natural 
they have natural appeal being in the city of New Orleans in terms of recruiting. Like Willie Fritz has finally turned that program around, but for them to have been as bad as they've been for so long, they had a couple good years with Patrick Ramsey and Sean King back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And then of course, obviously the hurricane Katrina incident or hurricane Katrina aftermath, which really set their program back a little bit. But I, I just don't understand how they haven't been able to attract more money and more talent to that area, especially from a transfer perspective. Like you, there's a Louisiana is a state that's recruited nationally. And you got to imagine they would have to be a prime spot for kids to who maybe aren't making it at P five programs that are from the Louisiana area to transfer back to Tulane. And it just doesn't seem to happen. They're one. And the other one I really, really, really want to keep my eye on is Charlotte. And obviously Uh, everybody, (laughs) <laughs> you took my thunder, man. I was gonna, oh. I was gonna, I was gonna tee you up for Charlotte because I know you have. I love Charlotte. And well, everybody knows I'm a big uh, Will Healy guy, and and it made no secret about it. But Charlotte is a burgeoning program. They're a new G5 program. They were an FCS school for a while, so they're new to the FBS. They've been, I think, in the FBS now for five or six years, something like that. And here's the thing: they're in Charlotte. They're in. They're in a major metropolitan area that loves football north carolina loves football this isn't like being in like new york or boston or something like that where there's just not a huge football tradition charlotte has big time football programs down there north carolina has big football programs and they have great football players i think charlotte could be a program that gets flushed with cash and really sets up nicely because a lot of their facilities are new because they had to upgrade a lot of their facilities to go from the FCS to the FBS. So I think that's a program that Will Healy is going to really wake up and I think could be a top G5 program in the next five to ten years. Yep, that, that's a good one. The The only other one I was going to throw in there, and I am a little bit uh, biased on this one because I've been saying this for years and it hasn't quite happened yet, uh, but I think Old Dominion is another school that is mm-hmm. extremely interesting and, and has the same challenge that Charlotte has in the fact that there's no tradition, right? Yep. They're not a traditional football school. So it's sometimes hard to 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 get them to uh, kind of rise up there. I think UTSA is another one that, that could possibly go in that category yep. as well. But listen to yep. this. ODU in 2016-17 spent $46 million on their athletic department. That was $13 wow. million more than any other school in Conference USA. Um, so, you know, when it talks about investing in its athletic program, it wants to be up there. And it's in such a <laughs> hotbed of recruiting yeah. talent in the 757 uh, which those are listening out there that aren't in the state of Virginia, that's uh, the Virginia Beach area, Norfolk, Newport News, um, Suffolk, all Hampton. of that. I mean, such, yeah. Hampton, such rich high school football talent and great athletics down there. And they haven't been able to quite put it together. They've been to a couple bowl games, I believe. Um, but that's another program that – you know, the last couple of years haven't been kind, but another one, if they can just get it together, I think that's a decent G5 job. Agreed. I like that, Gless. Yeah. That's a decent one. So, all right. So we are, man, we're just getting carried away here. Uh, I know we are way over time. So we're going to kind of close up here with anybody who listens to our show knows we always like to end with a prospect to know. <coughs> Sorry about that. Uh, this one is no shock as if you listen to our cornerback uh 
podcast, you know that I love this guy. Past, I love this guy as well. It's Elijah Molden out of the University of Washington. 5'10", 190 pounds, runs about kind of a, a, a late 4'4", four, 4'5", four, four, speed. But he's really going to be one, really going to be the next guy that's in a great line of U, University of Washington secondary players. Talk mm-hmm. about Desmond Trufant, Kevin King, Buda Baker, Marcus Peters, Sidney Jones, Taylor at Byron Murphy. All these guys were uh, – either round one or round two picks and have shown that they can play at the NFL level. Um, what's great about this kid is, is he's so versatile. He mainly played a slot corner for uh, for the Huskies this year. He's extremely versatile. He's a great man-to-man defender, versatile. He has incredible speed. But listen to some of this, Kenny. Um, he led the Pac-12 in interceptions, pass breakups, forced fumbles. His 17 pass defended was tied for sixth in the country last year um, and fourth among all returning uh, defensive backs coming here playing in 2020. He led the entire Washington defense in tackles as a slot corner. So that tells you he's completely uh, just this versatile guy that I think NFL teams are going to fall in love with. And if he can replicate what he did in 2019, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to be a day one pick in the 2020 draft. Nice. Yeah, he looks good, Gless. I, I really like what I see with him on film. And I'm ex- like you said, with that great lineage of secondary players at UW, I'm excited to see where he fits in that lineage. Yeah, so if you stumble across the University of Washington uh, game this year, please look for number three, probably playing a slot corner. Um, he may move outside sometimes, but I think, again, like I said, you're talking about versatility of a kid that can play in the box. He can tackle. He can run. He's a ball hawk with the ball in the air. So uh, really got to keep your eye on, again, that's Elijah Molden, uh, corner out of the University of Washington. And again, we are way over time, so I'm going to quickly go ahead and end the show. But as always, you can follow and interact with Prospects 101 on social media. That's at Prospects 101 Pod. Again, we're always releasing great content, discussions, engagements, polls, all of that. We love to hear from our fans. As always, make sure you listen to us, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, whatever it is, we're on there. I promise you that. Uh, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date with all of our episodes. We've got great interviews, a lot of great content coming up. Make sure you give us a five-star review. I cannot tell you how much that helps us uh, in regards to spreading news and all of our content around to other interested high school, college, and NFL fans. So we appreciate you spreading the word. And because we're over time, I'm going to make this sign off quick for Kenny, for Gless. We will talk to you next week.